From Gimlet, you're listening to Startup, the show about what it's really like to start a business. I'm Alex Bloomberg. My co-host, Lisa Chow, is not with me in the studio today for reasons you'll hear about a little bit later in this episode. We are now on episode 10. This is the final episode of the season. We've spent months exploring the ups and downs of one company, the online dating company, Dating Ring. And in our last episode, Dating Ring had just made a pivotal choice. They decided to put aside their ambition of being a huge tech company, the Uber of dating, and instead to become what's known as a lifestyle company. You can think of it as switching from trying to build a business that has a global headquarters to building a business that has an office somewhere. What it meant, though, for the founders, Emma and Lauren, was that they were going to stop raising money from investors and focus their energy on the core of their business, setting people up on good dates, a process that starts with getting to know your customer. So, okay, why don't you tell me a little bit about what you're looking for? So I'm looking for a person who's pretty ambitious. Um, They might not be exactly where they want to be in their career, but they've got a path to wherever they want to be at. Someone who's college educated. Someone who's really curious, you know, who will just kind of say yes to things. I definitely love a sense of humor. Good sense of humor. Sense of humor. Someone who's witty, someone sarcastic. Some combination of kind of smart and or weird and or nerdy. I don't want a girl like hugely taller than me. And yeah, like they're fun. They don't, they don't take themselves seriously. This is tape we gathered from Dating Ring's regular matchmaker meetings. These meetings happen twice a week in an office building in their downtown New York office. Dating Ring customers come in and meet with matchmakers and talk about who they're looking for. And these meetings, people are generally nervous, a little bit giddy. Most have never been to a matchmaker before. And there's this sense of possibility. <laughs> Yeah, this guy sounds great. Ideally, like, yeah, right? Yeah. And then on top of it all, I'm, like, attracted to him. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And on one very recent matchmaker night, Emma told my producer, Lisa Pollack, that there'd been a record set. We have about 80 people who have signed up to come, uh, which is more than we've ever had. So, So a typical matchmaker meeting night is, like, how many people? Uh... Wow, since startup? Um, no, before startup. Before startup. Oh my god, before startup, it was like 12 to maybe 20. Yeah, that's one of the things we said we'd talk about in this final episode. What opening yourself up to a podcast like this one does to your business. For Dating Ring, one of the things it did, not surprisingly, it brought them a lot more business. The matchmakers told us that over half the people there that night had heard about Dating Ring on this very podcast. I'm a listener. <laughs> oh, oh, great. Thanks. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Did you learn about Dating Ring from the podcast? I did, yeah. When did you think, I want to sign up for that company that I'm listening to a podcast about? Um, it was like at least a few episodes in. I was just super intrigued. So here I am. So I hadn't listened until last night, and then I blew through them all. You listened to eight episodes last night? Yeah, I blew through them all. Well, I kind of fast-forwarded a little bit to kind of make sure that I was... Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So on the one hand, great for Dating Ring, right? Lots of new people. But the downside, these new people, they knew a lot about Dating Ring's business, even the parts that weren't that pretty. So I have been listening to the podcast. Yeah. And the last episode that aired... There was some talk about financial things and how much runway was left, and it was only maybe like a month, if I remember correctly. Are you concerned that if you pay for a three-month membership in one month, we will no longer exist? I mean, based on what I hear (laughs) on the podcast, that's not unrealistic. It's a totally fair question. Um, 
<laughs> I told you it's gonna be a hard question. No, I mean it's not a hard question because we are definitely gonna exist, and um, I, yeah, that's yeah, we're definitely gonna exist. That's that's not an issue. Also, for the record, if for some horrible reason we did run out of money after a month, we would give you like the rest of your money back. You know, we wouldn't just keep it and not give you matches. <laughs> So what's the net effect of being on a podcast like ours? That's one thing we'll talk about today. The other thing, what's it been like to switch to a lifestyle business? What's it like to focus less on technology and more on personal interactions with customers? Here's an audio diary that Emma recorded recently. I saw 11 people today. People cried. In the last two days, I met with four people whose spouses died. You know, and... And there's, I mean, there's nothing that I can say, obviously. But they're in this position where they still have so much of their life left and they, and they don't want to replace their spouse and nobody can live up to them. And, and that's all true, you know? And then they kind of like look at me expectantly. And they're like, okay, like now like you do your thing that you do. And then they leave and I have to like find them a boyfriend. I think that people come to matchmakers as sort of a last resort. Like they've tried everything else. And so they're like, okay, so now I'm coming to you. But the implication with that is that, is that, you know, nothing else has worked. And if this doesn't work, then I'm out of options. And I mean, that's not true. You know, it's not like if I can't find them someone, they won't find someone. But I think to a degree, that's how they feel. And that's a lot of pressure. So, today on the show, what is life like now for Dating Ring? Plus, a love story. One that we've been wanting to share with you all season long. So earlier this week, we brought Emma and Lauren into the studio for what was basically their last interview with us. An exit interview of sorts. So, uh, I have a chart here. And it's, it looks like, so we've got new signups, basically. So this is people that are signing up for your service before the podcast happened. Um, the new signups are basically in the 100 to 200 range. And then there's this week, 4-19-2015, which is the week that the startup podcast first became live. And we just read how many signups you had that week? 1,088. 1,088. Was... <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's basically 10 times the number of signups you had than from before. Was, yeah. What, what did you guys think when you saw that number? We've sort of been uh, cautiously pessimistic this whole time because we don't know how long it'll last. So we don't want to get too attached to that number, you know. Um, but, I mean, obviously it was so exciting. Um, and, and clearly that was like sort of like one of the calculations you were – thinking of when you were first deciding whether to do this project, right? A big reason, of course, was we were struggling with with growth. So we figured if we could gain a lot more exposure, we could get a lot more people using the service and we could create better matches. The last we heard, I think on startup, you had 15000 in the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, what do your financials look like now? Um. By the end of this month, we'll probably have like seventy thousand in the account. Okay, 
Now when I look at my personal account, my business account, I don't get confused. <laughs> Which, because they don't both have like $200 in them. Um, so there was a debate with you, your advisor, Kevin Hale. He, he, was, he advised you not to do it. I think his exact words were, do you really want your users to know what a shit show your company is? How do you feel about that now? Do you feel like, okay, well, case closed, he was wrong? No, I mean, I think he would have definitely foreseen these numbers. What they would say at YC was that press can be helpful, but it's a short-term fix. Mm-hmm. And and Kevin's fear was it's the whole leaky bucket thing. Are, are we getting this whole rush? But could it have been much bigger if if our company was, was better? Um, so I don't think they'd be surprised by these numbers, but I think they would just ask us, well, what— what happens next? And what would you say? Um, I'd say we have a lot of work to do, but it's buying us pretty much another year to be stable, which is a long time to figure out what our next moves are. And if I'm honest, this was a little weird for us, right? Like, we obviously understood that when we come in and profile a company, that attention is going to do things for their business. But still, it's weird to be trying to observe something and yet change the thing you're observing. I don't know if you've had a chance to sort of reflect on where you've been um, was it two and a half years ago, Emma? You were, you were, you were working at a school, and and let's say four months before you left your job as a sex ed teacher, somebody sat you down and said, you know, two years from now you're gonna have started a company, and you're gonna be um, sort of like worrying about payroll and like you know you'll have gone to YC and do all this stuff. What would you have thought? I would have said, what's YC? <laughs> um, I, I. I mean, I wouldn't have believed them because I wouldn't have understood how I could ever have gotten there. I mean, I, I watch, embarrassingly, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette mm-hmm. religiously. And I don't know if you've ever seen the show, but they have contestants or, I don't know, single people come on. And they put their job uh, at the bottom of the screen. So it'll say, like, Mike, teacher. But 30 to 40 percent of the men on there are, like, Jimmy, entrepreneur. And I've watched it my whole life. And Every time, because I'm snarky and mean, I'm like, Psh, entrepreneur, just a fancy way of saying they don't have a job. And I was watching The Bachelor like six months after starting Dating Ring, and I made the snarky comment, and everyone in the room turned to me, and they were like, you're an entrepreneur. I was like, no, I'm not. Of course I'm not. I have a, I have a job. And they're like, yeah, if you run your own business, you're an entrepreneur. This is, this is your job title now. And, and I was like, oh, I guess I have to learn how to spell it. <laughs> One of the many things that I was surprised to learn when I started a business is that there's a lot more aphorisms in the world than I ever dreamed possible. And I found myself taking solace in them more than I ever imagined it would. It was sort of like after I went through my first big breakup, how every top 40 love song all of a sudden felt so true. Now I'd find myself nodding appreciatively at motivational business quotes. One of the ones I connected to was from the boxer, Mike Tyson, who said, apparently... Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. 
In my interview with Emma and Lauren, we spent a lot of time talking about how the punches in the mouth we'd received had changed our plans. And one of the surprises that they'd received was how the business they'd gotten themselves into, matchmaking, helping people find love, it was a lot harder than they thought it would be. All of us have many ways in which we are not that lovable. And in any event, love, what's that expression? You can't hurry it. I thought that it would be a lot more like magic. I thought, honestly, I thought like, I'm good with people. I'm pretty intuitive. I bet I will just think of pairings left and right like some like matchmaking sorceress. Um, and that is not the case. Uh-huh. And it's it's work. It's a lot more like work than than wizardry. It's also a really tricky business. and And that's the thing that, sometimes strikes me as like, are you guys, are you guys going into business trying to solve a problem that, that, that can't be solved sometimes? Yeah, I I think, I think so. Um, I think that's why we've been really careful to say like, we can't necessarily solve this problem, but we can help you solve it. So soulmate generator, which was one of the things that, like, somebody said early on in the podcast. That's, like, you would actively re- reject that yeah. that notion. Yes, definitely. That doesn't help anyone. Um, our users are, are would be very disappointed when soulmates are not generated. Also, for the record, I don't think that that's a possible thing. I don't think anyone could build a soulmate generator. I think that, I think that love and, and finding someone has a lot to do with, like, the— sort of ineffable, unquantifiable things. And I think we are making that process easier and more efficient and less painful. But but that's going to be a hard process for anyone, no matter how they do it. Mm-hmm. But that's not like a super catchy pitch. And then we also have sort of cases that need more help, and that's when we're doing the premium matchmaking. So you're, 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 you're telling people that are harder to match, we need more money to, to, to do this. That sounds really bad. Um, <laughs> but, but those people usually know. You know, they usually come to us and say, like, online dating hasn't worked for me, and I understand that's because my search is, is more difficult. Um, the woman looking for a single man in his 60s, she knows that it's hard. I'm not, I'm not telling her anything new. Um, yeah, and then if someone's just, you know, insanely picky, right? Like, if, if you have a million checkboxes and you're not willing to get rid of any of them, that's fine. But, like, it, that will cost you. Right. Did you realize that you were going into a business where you, would, where, where you were going to learn to have so many difficult conversations? No. I, <laughs> you're asking all these questions and it's making me realize that um, – I mean, it's not the first time I realized it, but there obviously were a lot of things we didn't think about, you know? Like, it's not like we thought it would be easy or hard. We just didn't think about it. No, of course. You know, no, we just didn't think about have. it at all. Yeah. Um, so, no, definitely Nobody not. ever does. Yeah, nobody yeah. thinks about it. Yeah. And there are so many components, especially with, like, dating and love. You thought it was going to be happier. Like, it, it, yeah, I thought it would be happier, which is not to say that it isn't yeah. often very happy. But, but, yes, the people crying on the couch in our office— I wasn't prepared for it. 
Like, I'm not starting another company without doing a lot of surveys first because you think people want something and they're like, oh, yeah, sounds like a great idea. I'd love that. But then once you make them pay for it, it's so different. Like, look at the competitors. Look at why this doesn't exist. Really think about why this isn't already there. Because there's a reason. (laughs) If you had done that kind of market research, would you have started this company? I wish some like I, I don't know if it ever would have been available, but if I could have known like how rare it is that two people meet and fall in love online, you hear about you know there are thousands, there are supposedly like millions of children born to Match. dot com couples currently alive, maybe, but there are like billions and billions of children that weren't born to them. <laughs> Every date that didn't result in a child, every message that didn't result in a child. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it would have changed my opinion at the time, but if someone had really sat me down and been like, look, sure, you're going to go set up dates, but I just want you to know that 99 out of 100 of them are going to dislike each other and therefore dislike your service. Uh yeah, but it's sort of a—I mean, if, if if we all had perfect information, nobody would start anything. Yeah, right. <laughs> you would just not leave your house. <laughs> right. Coming up, a couple of events that we've been waiting all season to talk about. Good ones. That's after these words from our sponsors. Welcome back to Startup. I'm Alex Bloomberg, and we have reached the second half of our season finale. And you might remember that back when we started this journey, in our very first episode, my co-host Lisa Chow and I started by saying that we wanted to talk about love. Well, we said, not love, but online dating, which, as I said at the time, was about as far away from love as you could possibly get. But the truth was, even back then, we secretly hoped that we were wrong. That in fact, if you spent enough time following an online dating company, you will eventually find a love story. Which is why we want to tell you this one about a young guy looking for love. His name is Ben. He was a fourth grade teacher in New York City. And in a lot of ways, his story is a familiar one. A few years ago, he was at the point in his life where he was ready to stop dating around, start looking for something more serious. He'd spent three years in Africa working for the Peace Corps. He'd just moved to New York City. And like a lot of people in their mid or late 20s, He was getting used to the fact that the dating landscape he'd always known when he was younger, in high school and college, was now different, that he was an adult. I had this realization that I wasn't going to meet anyone kind of in the same way that I'd been used to meeting people through college, through classes. Um, And and to be honest, I'm too shy to go up to people in bars. That's just not my thing. And so in talking to my friends and hearing how many people who I respected and who I liked were, were doing online dating were on OkCupid. And considering it was free, I thought, why not? Why not try it? So he got an OkCupid account, filled out the questionnaires, started scrolling through profiles. He didn't actually message that many people. He's shy, remember. Um, but I remember there, were, there was one profile, a woman who had spent time in, in South Africa, and she was into crosswords, and, and her profile was very clever. Um, and her pictures looked cute, and um, she had one where she was bungee jumping, which seemed adventurous, and and, and she just seemed like an all-around interesting person. So I remember messaging her, and, you know, we did the usual thing where we, like, went back and forth, 
um, and eventually exchanged phone numbers. And then, you know, I, I, I texted her and, um, and she never got back to me. And just as that happened, as, as she didn't get back to me, um, I met this other woman through, uh, through work and we ended up dating, uh, for like seven or eight months. Now I should tell you that that relationship wasn't great. And one signal that I didn't fully invest in that relationship was that I never ended up canceling my OkCupid profile. Um, I just kind of left it. So <laughs> while I was dating this woman, um, the, the woman who, who I had been so interested in, who had never texted me back, ended up messaging me saying something like, hey, remember when we were supposed to go out, except it was online dating and it didn't work out? Um, do you want to go out now? But I was dating this other woman, and so I, I told her that that would have been great, but that um, my current girlfriend probably would not appreciate it. And, um, I was sorry that it wasn't going to work out. And I didn't hear back from her, and that was kind of it. Now, we did manage to track this woman down, found out the story from her side, and she told us why she blew Ben off that first time they'd arranged a date. I was going on so many dates that uh, it, that wasn't a rare thing for me to do. And I'm sure I was tired, you know, and so I just didn't respond. Before she got the idea that she wanted to be a matchmaker, before Dating Ring ever existed, Emma Tesler was a single woman in New York City. And I think it's safe to say that Emma, for a few different reasons, was not your average dater. For one thing, when Emma first heard about the dating site OkCupid, she was so excited to start online dating that she filled out her profile before she even moved to New York City. The anticipation of the dates she'd be having was half the fun. I think it's like when you, you know, when you pick classes in college and you look at the course catalog and you're like, this class is going to be awesome. And then you get there and it's like a syllabus and work just like anything else. But but you really have a lot of like hopefully anticipation. And Emma wasn't kidding when she said dating was work like anything else. She never expected the love of her life just to fall into her lap. She figured she'd need to meet a lot of people before she found the one. Everyone who I'd met was so different from their profile that I pretty quickly figured out I better just meet them. The more people I meet, the more likely that I'm going to like one of them. And every time I wasn't going on dates, because I'd get really burnt out and I'd take like a two-month break. And every time I was in one of those breaks, I would find myself sitting at home, you know, and I'm sure I'd watch a romantic comedy and I'd think, well, that couple looks cute. And then I'd be so mad at myself that I wasn't actively pursuing dating, I would think, oh, you think you're just going to find someone sitting on your couch if you're not doing anything? Like, that's not how it works. You have to try. And I'd really kind of beat myself up. And so then I'd go back online and, you know, message a million guys and and line up a bunch of dates because I would think, wow, this is not going to happen if you're not doing anything about it. And I really wanted it to happen. But eventually, after a couple years of dating, Emma decided she was done with OkCupid. Besides, something better had come along. I started Dating Ring, and I started doing matchmaker meetings almost every night. And I was like, I'm meeting single guys every night. I can shut down my OkCupid profile. And so I closed it. And I started dating someone that I met at one of our parties. And I dated him for about six weeks. Great guy. And and we broke up. And then Lauren started going on OkCupid dates, and I was super jealous that she was going on all these dates. And and so we talked about it, and I was like, well, I don't think I can keep dating through Dating Ring because that was so awkward breaking up with that guy and then saying, like, do you still want to be in the network because I have someone to introduce you to? Like, it just felt so unprofessional. 
Um, and so I, I very reluctantly was like, okay, I guess I'll like start at my OkCupid profile. This turned out to be excellent timing because a day or so later, Emma got a message in her OkCupid mailbox, a message she never would have gotten if she hadn't restarted her account. It was from that guy she'd blown off and then finally written back to, only to find out that he had a girlfriend. The girlfriend, it turned out, was now out of the picture. And that guy, Ben, had never forgotten that bungee-jumping, crossword-puzzle-solving woman from OkCupid. After a little while, I went back on OkCupid and messaged her back and said something along the lines of like, well, I'm free now, so do you want to get a drink? And I said, okay. And the rest was, was history. Emma likes to tell her clients that she went on 115 first dates before she met Ben. But the 116th one, that was the one that mattered. The minute our date started, I, I, I felt more at ease and more at home and um, like I had more in common with this person that I had just met than I, than I felt um, at any point in the relationship that had just ended. I remember uh, after we'd been dating for two weeks, I said to my roommate, I said, I hope that he tells me that he loves me. She was like, are you kidding me? It has been two weeks. And I was like, yeah, I hope he says it. And then he said it that night, and I said it back. You might be noting the irony here, that the founder of Dating Ring fell in love herself through a competitor dating company. A dating company, in many ways, she'd started her own company in opposition to. You know, I, I think the way I look at it is is I loved dating, and I did a lot of it, uh, and I was fairly good at it. And it still took me 115 people to, like, find someone I loved. Um, and, you know, I I knew from watching all my friends that most people did not want to go through 115 people. And I tell people, like, you know, if you are willing to put in that much work, I think it'll work for for you too. But most people aren't willing to put in that much work. Many people can't put in that much work. Because they don't have the time. They don't have the time, right. It's, it's a crazy time suck. Um, and, and I do think that, like, if Ben and I had both been using Dating Ring, I think we would have gotten fixed up very quickly. We both made fake profiles in the system just to see how, how high we came up on each other's, like, recommended match list. And uh, I think I'm his second match, and he's, like, my first or something. How many people there are in the world who want that help, slogging through profiles and arranging matches, and more importantly, want to pay for it? That is a big question for Dating Ring going forward. Put in the language of Y Combinator and the tech world, they still don't know if there is product market fit. Put in the language of everyone else, they still don't know if people will buy what they're selling. When I asked Lauren and Emma where they thought they'd be a year from now, they told me they're not sure themselves. They have enough runway now to keep the company going for probably a year. But it's hard to tell how long the bump in users they got from startup will last, and if they'll be able to make the kind of changes to their company that get people to renew their memberships and tell their friends about Dating Ring. The kind of changes that will turn it from a leaky bucket into a sustainable business. There is, however, one thing on the calendar for next year that is certain. Next spring, Ben and Emma are getting married. It's official. So there you have it. The story of two people who meet, fall in love, decide to get married. What more could you want? A baby, you say? 
We got one of those too. Hello. Hello, Lisa. Hey, Alex. How are you? Good. I'm uh I'm calling uh, to uh, let everybody know why you um why you aren't on the podcast this week. <laughs> I had a baby. <laughs> <laughs> People probably don't realize that for the last couple of months you've been doing uh, the incredibly stressful job of hosting season two of Startup while um, being in the third trimester of your pregnancy. <laughs> Yes, two yeah. very, very stressful responsibilities. <laughs> so tell me about the baby. So his name is Elliot. Aw. Oh, here he is. Hi, Elliot. <laughs> he just woke up. Uh, wow. Yeah. Well, that's um, that's fantastic. We're all so, so happy for you. So, um, you know, take it easy, get lots of sleep. And uh, I can't wait to uh, I can't wait to see the little guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, me too. I can't wait to bring him into the office. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> into our crazy office, <laughs> our germ-infested office. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get him started. Right? <laughs> Got to build up that right, immunity, exactly. immunity quickly. <laughs> All right. Okay. Lisa. Okay. Good luck right. with the episode. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Startup listeners, it has been a pleasure. This season is officially done. We will, of course, be back with more. And some news on that. Our producer, Lisa Pollack, who you've heard a lot this season, she's going to be co-hosting next season, season three, with me. Lisa Chow will be back after her maternity leave for season four. And right now, Lisa Pollack is looking for the company to profile in season three. We're especially interested in stories about ventures and entrepreneurs who have had to overcome surprising obstacles or challenges. If you know of a company, lifestyle or otherwise, who you think we should check out, please let us know. Send us an email, nextstartup at gimletmedia.com. That's N-E-X-T startup, all one word, at gimletmedia.com. We'll be back with season three this winter. In the meantime, we will have periodic updates on the company we focused on in season one. That's right, our own company, Gimlet Media, the producer of this podcast that you're listening to right now. The first such update will happen in just two short weeks. There have been some interesting issues that have arisen around here. We're going to talk about that. And we'll have something very special that we'll be announcing. So we'll see you right back here in two weeks. In the meantime, thanks again so much for listening to this season of Startup. We couldn't do this without you and without your ears, which we sell to our advertisers. Speaking of which, here they are again. This episode was reported and edited by Lisa Pollack and Caitlin Roberts. We also got editing help from Caitlin Kenny. The startup website was designed by Design Commission. Mark Phillips wrote and performed our theme song. Build Buildings wrote and performed our special ad music. The Reverend John Delore mixed this episode. Season two of Startup features original music from our very own John Delore and his bandmates, Jordan Scanella, Sam Merrick, Osama McGregor, Dominic Falacaro. Their band name, hotmoms.gov. Do not go to that website. It's not a website. It's a band name. You know what is a website? GimletMedia.com, where you can go and listen to all the Gimlet Media shows. While you're there, you can also become a Gimlet member. Remember, when you become a member, you get access to t-shirts, new content before it drops, and lots of other cool stuff. Go to GimletMedia.com, click the Become a Member button. 
can also follow us on Twitter at Podcast Startup. You can follow me at Abex Lundberg. You can congratulate Lisa Chow on her new baby at Lisa E. Chow. I'm Alex Bloomberg, and I will talk to you soon on the next episode of Startup. <laughs>